Hello and welcome to another episode of Livewire and we're looking at the Kingdom Patterns. So in this series we're looking at how God directs us and how we can find our next steps. The different patterns that God uses to transform our thinking so we can test and understand his will. And today we're looking at summits. So the psalmist has an interesting thing to say when he talks about the way in which he's uh, relationship or his journey is developing with God. Just listen to these words. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken, O Lord. When you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. So this kingdom pattern is all about how God increases our faith. Um, you know, God wants you to be successful, but he has a funny way of showing it. Uh, in this passage, you hear the psalmist talk about God lifting him out of a pit, putting him on a mountaintop, but then you, you hear him talk about going back down again. So when God calls us, obviously the thing he calls us to requires an element of faith. So let's look at our, our diagram. God gives us this destiny or this dream, I should say. And at this dream, we imagine just this increase. We imagine just growing. We imagine the way that God helps us and we just grow and grow in our faith in a steady line. For instance, if you're a pastor, you might imagine as you grow in your faith, the numbers in the church just steadily increase. Or if you're a businessman and you're supporting the work of the kingdom and, and um, doing kingdom work in your business, having faith, you imagine maybe the income and the, the, the turnover of your, of your company growing and, and things happening just in this very steady, increasing line. But the reality is very different. In actual fact, this kingdom pattern looks more like this. What you get is a series of mountaintops or summits and valleys or dips. And the highs get higher, but the lows are not as low as they were. So in the journey that you might find God take you on, he's going to show you something and you're going to you're going to kind of elevate to that kind of faith, have faith for that thing, only to find actually there's a dip and there's a bigger mountain further ahead. And I want to unpack this a little bit, but let me first read from the book. The idea of mountaintop and valley experiences is an old concept in Christianity. That, however, is not what this kingdom pattern is about. It is not the story of incidental growth where we learn to hold on to God when things go wrong. How short-sighted would that be? If all we do is grow in our valley experiences, then we will surely let go of God on our mountaintops. No, this is not the story of the missing footsteps when we lose control and God carries us. This is the story of intentional growth, 
because the faith that is grown on a mountaintop is greater than that grown in a valley. So that may be a little bit different from what you've heard. Quite often, uh, we're told that our faith is really developed in the depressing times, our low times. Usually when I hear people talk about God increasing their faith, it's in the difficult times. I want to suggest the opposite is true. I want to suggest today that actually the main thing that God wants to do in our faith is usually done on the mountaintops. So let me unpack that by first telling you a, a short story of what happened to me many years ago. I was in Scotland with a group of friends and when I was 23, I, I saw a mountain for the first time in real life. And uh, we all decided we would climb up this mountain. So I was really excited to get to the top because I'd never been up a mountain, never seen the panoramic view. So I, I shot off fairly quickly, kind of running really, you know, I was quite young then. And um, every so often I would turn around and encourage my friends to catch up with me. But eventually they just seemed to be taking their time and I couldn't understand why. So I just thought, I'll oh, forget them, I'm going to get to the top. So I ran and I walked quickly and I scrambled up to the top. And just as I got over the, the summit, I realised actually I wasn't at the top at all. There was actually a bigger summit a little bit further in the distance. But from the base where we started, as I looked, I thought this was the summit. You'll see that on the diagram I'm showing you now. The reality is, when God gives us a vision, all we ever really see are false summits. We see only the bit he wants to show us at the time. We see the bit that we want to get to, the bit that we're excited about. So why does God only show us false summits? Well, let me first quote a president and then we're going to do our first workshop. Abraham Lincoln said, if you want to test a man, make him a failure. But if you really want to test a man, make him a success. So why would that be the case? Well, let's first take a look at our first workshop. So the question I would like to ask here is, can you think of a false summit in your life? And if so, please share it with your group and what, if anything, you learnt through it. Perhaps the best person in the Bible to demonstrate uh, this summit process is Peter. His life was a series of highs and lows and absolutely full of false summits. But what God did through these summits in Peter's life has lasted forever. Let me just read where I would consider his first summit to have been, or at least one of his first summits. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. I want you to imagine the scene. Jesus is making this triumphal entry. Everybody thinks he's about to become king. People are waving palm branches, the sign of the zealots, their logo, if you like. And this must be the moment because Peter is right there by the side of Jesus walking in. He's his right-hand man almost walking in. And he must be thinking three years of discipleship, Three years of servanthood and now here we are about 
about to take Jerusalem for the kingdom of God. He must have been so excited, feeling this is the final destination. And then, five days later, he's betrayed Jesus. Five days later, he's alone. Five days later, he realizes he pretty much knows nothing about Jesus' plan at all. Five days later, and he's at rock bottom. Or is he? I think actually he was closer to discovering Jesus' purposes for his life than when he first saw the great catching of the fish or what on water. And this is best understood by understanding two types of faith. The first one being what Peter's faith was at that time, which I would call quasi-faith. Peter had what you might call a starter faith. Beginner faith, faith enough for a small victory, the kind of victory he thought Jesus was going to have. I'll explain the word quasi in a moment, but let me just ask you a question. Have you ever been arrested? Uh, I've not. I've never been arrested. Um, I've been kicked out of a zoo where I slept in overnight in Germany, hosed down by uh, the, the park attendants. Uh, I've been barred from a pub that I never entered um, because of a problem I caused in a pub, even though I'd never been there before, which is more difficult than you would think. I've broken an underground train and been chased by armed guards. I've uh, walked parts of uh, the Berlin Wall that were out of bounds and had people pull guns on me. I've been thrown up against wire fences and been frisked by the police. And I've been kicked out of two countries but I've never been arrested. But God was. Jesus was arrested. And Peter went with him up to a certain point. Let me just read to you exactly what happened. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. The disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate and she let Peter in. So Jesus is arrested and Peter goes with him, but he has to be outside of the gate. But then the other disciple has, has a, a hookup. The other disciple has a person they can talk to. So Peter gets inside the gate. He's inside the courtroom and Jesus is arrested inside the house so near and yet so far, or so it seems. But listen to this. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I am not. So here's Peter. He's just outside the house where Jesus is. And we know that Jesus was asked, uh, who are you and who is with you? If Peter had said, yes, I'm with, I'm with Jesus, I'm one of the disciples, he'd have been taken straight in. We know that from the conversation Jesus has with his accuser. So there's Peter. He wants to be with Jesus, but he denies knowing Jesus. He wants to get closer to God, but at the same time denying God. I wonder if you've ever been in the same situation you wanted to get closer to God, where at the same time, 
denying parts of your life to him. Peter had a quasi-faith. What does quasi mean? Almost, but not quite. Partly or pretending. So Peter had a kind of quasi-faith. Nearly Jesus' faith, but not quite Jesus' faith. In fact, Peter's journey of faith is a bit like a comical silent film. Full of uh, times when he seems to have made it and then messes up. He walks on water only to drown. Um, he humbles himself only to be called Satan by his rabbi. Uh, he tries to hold on to three prophets and stay with them and build a shelter for them only to fall flat on his face. It's as though Peter is taken to these heights and then suddenly realises the thing he had faith for isn't the thing that Jesus really wanted. And I think that's the part, I think that's the point, if you like, of these summits. God takes us somewhere only for us to realise that wasn't the point, there's something bigger and better. And actually the thing we were believing for isn't quite what Jesus had in mind. So rather than quasi-faith, we need to search for quantum faith. But what is quantum faith? In physics, quantum means the smallest quantity of energy. I think the size of our faith is something that only we are obsessed with, not Jesus. He said this, I tell you the truth, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Success is not found in the amount of faith, but the assimilation of faith. And that's key. So what God's trying to do is highlight his purposes. And he does it by allowing us sometimes to realise our dreams, only to find out that they're not his dreams. And this series of highs and lows helps us discover that because he wants to build in us faith, not for our personal dreams, but the kind of faith we're going to need for his dreams, which are always bigger and better. After all, as I write in my book, what is the point of having more faith for the wrong plan? Peter's summit-shaped pilgrimage was all about binding God's dream to his life. So replacing his dreams for God's dreams, seeing something bigger and better. That was the point of the summit-shaped pilgrimage for him, and I would suggest for you and I as well. As I've often said, the best question is not where am I going? The best question is not what should I be doing? The best question is, Lord, what's the most effective thing I can do for your kingdom? And in order to ask that question and get an answer, we have to understand what God's purpose is, not simply what our purpose is. So yes, sometimes we'll achieve our dreams only to be shown that actually that wasn't the point in the first place. There's something much greater. And that's true for all of us, even businessmen who can um, great, create great successful businesses. I want to explain that with a, a friend of mine who... Uh, who we recorded sharing about why he supports what we do. I've worked with youth for, for many years and, and I see the next generation as being, um, having a lot of difficulty compared to um, previous generations. And the kids don't have, um, they don't have that mentor 
um, that's in their life to actually help them cope with the different things that life throws at them. And the mentor program through PAYS um, gives that to these kids. While stocks and bonds might, um, might seem like they give a good investment, investing in people um, is the best investment that you can do. Wayne has built a great business, but he's realizing that building a business in itself is not the point. It's about investing in the kingdom of God. And he does that within his business and through his business as well. So what you've got here is you've got quantum faith that, that has the faith to believe for great things, even though they may hurt. Quasi-faith, however, thinks the whole point of faith is to believe that things won't hurt in the first place. Quantum faith believes for his dreams, and we only need a small amount of faith, but it can be very powerful because we're praying in his will. And those kind of prayers see a great difference. We can have all the faith in the world, but if we're praying for our dreams, not his, we will see very little happen. So with that in mind, let's look at our next workshop. Is there another Bible character whose life seems to follow the summit journey? the summit pattern. If so, please plot their summit journey in the same way I just did for Peter, including the various reference points and scriptures. So just take a moment to think through, is there another character in the Bible who seems to have the, a similar kind of journey? God raises them up, they chase after their own dreams only to realize it was a mistake and then see God's bigger mountain that requires a different kind of faith, a faith more connected to his. So if you can find someone like that, then just draw their summit uh, pattern, their summit journey, and just mark off different um, stages in their life and the scriptures to back that up. And then share that with the rest of your group. And we'll come back and look at the final part of this pattern where we'll look at practices on the summit journey. Great. Okay, so we're going to look at some of the different practices while you're on this journey. Now, in the book, uh, I have several. I'm just going to pick two for this particular LiveWire episode. So practice number one, if you don't attempt the small peaks, you'll never get to the big ones. You see, you cannot leapfrog the summits or skip elements of God's plans. So let's think about some of the things that Peter actually accomplished. He preached a sermon that led 3,000 people to Christ. He wrote two epistles to the church that became books of the Bible. He founded the church in Antioch. He established a headquarters in Rome where he served as bishop. He presided over the first great council in Jerusalem in 49 AD and he's now seen by some as the prince of apostles. And yet Peter's summit journey started with a really simple question, an awkward question. Hey, Peter, can I use your boat? Jesus asked him for his boat. Jesus didn't first say to him, hey, Peter, would you like to become a great apostle one day? He asked him for a small favor. The fact of the matter is, Jesus is probably doing that of you and me. 
we have to ask the question, what is our small boat? What is the small thing that he's asking me to give that's in his will rather than the big thing that I want to achieve that's in my will? What if Peter had said no? Would Peter have ever accomplished the things he accomplished? Would he have ever had his faith increased? Or would it have turned then and there? Who really knows? I don't know the answer to that. All I know is that God's journey to increase your faith is summit-shaped. Let's look at the second practice. You have to go down one mountain to climb the next one. So getting to the next mountain is not determined by whether or not you're prepared to climb up that next mountain. It's actually determined by whether or not you're prepared to climb down the mountain you're presently on. I believe that's why our faith is most increased on the mountain top, because usually to get to the next place God has for us, we have to let something go. Could be something we're wrestling with in our spirit, could be something physical or practical or material or maybe relational. Let me give you an example. Uh, many years ago, I was uh, working for my church that I loved called Sherman Church in Moston. Uh, but Pays had outgrown, the organisation I lead had outgrown this small church. And so I had to move to another church that had a much bigger building, but had far less money. I had a small salary at Sherman Church, but in order to uh, be able to use this bigger church's building, they wanted me to become the pastor, but could not pay me. So I had to let go of a salary and go down one from one mountain, you might say, to restart a, a church or repurpose a church. Now, once that grew and it, it did actually uh, eventually salary me, it became a great place. We had a, a great team. Uh, we had a great church. Um, it became a national venue for, for conferences in the UK, particularly in those days just for schools work. And then I felt God call me to the States because the next mountain I could see was Pays going from uh, uh, not just a local to a national movement, but then to an international movement. So I had to leave the mountaintop I was already on in England where I had a fantastic team around me. Uh, I was fairly well known. Uh, I could speak at lots of different conferences and churches. Uh, things were going great. The church was going well. And I had to descend that mountain to come to America and start literally from very from the very beginning. Nobody really knew me. Um, I had no bookings to speak at churches or anything like that. And so that for me was really, really tough because uh, I already achieved one of my dreams. I was a, a national speaker. I had a great team around me. I had to let go of that dream in order to accomplish a bigger dream that God had. Listen to this quote. Sidney Coe Howard said, one half of knowing what you want is knowing what you must give up before you get it. So this is maybe something helpful for you to understand that yes, in those low times, God certainly can work in you and he can certainly increase your faith, but maybe it's the kind of faith that gets you to come back to him, to not rely on other things instead. But the faith that's developed on a mountaintop is more about aligning our faith to the things that he has for us rather than the things that we have for ourselves. And I would suggest that's an even greater development of our faith at an even higher level. 
Let me, let me again read from the book. The proactive decision to descend from one summit because you can see the potential of a higher summit in the distance is a key part to the process of faith assimilation. We are repeatedly forced to lose our personal benefits for the sake of a greater impact for the dreams of God. This repetition of the pattern gives us multiple choices and multiple chances to cut a new ravine in our hearts and minds. It's God's way of increasing our faith. Like I say, there's no point having great faith for the wrong plan. Okay, let's look at our final workshop. Which of those two practices is most helpful to you now and why? If you were to use this kingdom pattern to help someone you are discipling, what other practices would you recommend to them? So please discuss which of these two practices we've just talked about helps you most at this time and what do they teach you? And then if you have time, just think about, you know, if you were discipling someone and they were going through this summit-shaped journey and you could see it, what other practice, what other tip would you give them right now? Please share that with your group as well. And next time we'll look at a different kingdom pattern for a different area of our development. Okay, thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.